before I jump into just a, a brief reflection that I put together for this evening, I want to say a quick word of prayer. God, we, um, we have come uh, in many ways as uh, people who are so familiar with this story, really longing and wanting to be struck by it freshly and in a new way this evening. And it's the profound mystery of it all, that there continues to be an unpacking of the meaning of this event in the way that not only we receive it, but order and structure our lives around it. And so we ask, God, that you would speak into this moment somehow by your grace and mercy. Give us the ears to hear and eyes to see what it is that you're speaking and doing. It's the name of Jesus uh, that we pray. Amen. Well, I get told this phrase from time to time in our church because it's, not, it's actually nice to be in a place where people think that you're super young, you know, even though you're approaching middle-aged. Um, but I get told this phrase, well, back in our day, right, or back, in, back when I was your age, or back in those days, we used to, you know, fill in the blank. And I usually respond with some sort of cheeky remark to the elderly folks who will say that in our church. I'm like, what century was that in again? Or like, when did that happen again? But back in those days is a phrase that I cannot wait to use one day with my own kids. And hopefully, if I'm fortunate enough with my grandkids, as I peer into the horizon of the future of the world that we live in, I can only imagine how the sentence back in those days will be completed. You know, what ways of life and technologies will be so outdated that they're going to strike the generations that come after us as shocking and surprising? Like, how could people have lived back in those days? I imagine, I'll tell my grandkids uh, things like, Back in those days, we used to have cassette tapes, right? And they would, you'd stick them in and they'd play on both sides and they'd be like, what, what are you talking about? Like physical device, like everything's digital, right? Or back in those days, we had phones in our homes that were attached to the wall, you know? Back in those days, I had to write, handwrite my book reports and book summaries and homework when I was in school. Yeah, back in those days, we didn't have Wikipedia, we had encyclopedias, and they had to be updated every few years to stay up to date with information. Or back in those days, we actually went to the store to do our Christmas shopping, you know? Like you actually went into a place and you talked to people and you picked up an item, it wasn't just plopped and you're welcome at it, the front door. Back in those days, we actually drove our own cars. Like, I think that's going to be the one that blows their minds. What do you mean you drove your own car, right? Elon Musk is taking over the world. But I imagine back in those days, we'll stand in sharp contrast to the day in which I will tell those stories. I don't know if you caught it this morning, but Luke begins his nativity story, his Christmas story, with those familiar words. He says, in those days, only the sentence isn't immediately followed up with some reference to an outdated form of technology. It's followed up with an outdated reference to who was king, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the grandnephew and later adopted son of the famed Julius Caesar, who, who many of you have probably heard about, hence his name change, right, to Caesar Augustus. But it's hard for us to imagine, right, it's hard for us to imagine, but 
emperors were not perceived in Luke's day or in Jesus' day in the first century merely as sort of figureheads or political, uh, uh, holding political positions that merited some sort of honor or recognition. They were seeing Caesar Augustus more like gods who were owed a reverence and worship. Just consider the words that were written on the monuments that were dedicated to Caesar Augustus throughout the Roman Empire. These words were inscribed just under the statutes that were, were placed in his memory. It says, Divine Augustus Caesar. Somebody needs to get that kid under control, right? <laughs> the heck? Where is that kid's parents? Can't even preach over here. <laughs> But there was these statues dedicated to memorialize Caesar Augustus, and inscribed under them were these words, Divine Augustus Caesar, Son of God, Imperator or Commander of land and sea, the benefactor and Savior of the whole world. And the reference to him in Luke's gospel in those days when Caesar Augustus ruled is a way of tracking time. Without the invention of calendar years just yet, the way that you would track time in ancient history was to, to recognize who was in charge. When those events happened, like who was emperor, who was king, and back in those days, Caesar Augustus was in charge. And Augustus being in charge was not the greatest of things. Luke's reference is not a positive. He doesn't have positive memories of Caesar being in charge. Just consider the reason why Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem at all in order to have Jesus is that Caesar Augustus had ordered the whole world, the entire Roman Empire, to go back to your hometown so I can take a census all of you people who've been conquered by my military, go back to your hometown so that I can know that you're a part of my empire, so I can know that I'm going to come and tax you a lot, a lot of money one day. And so when people heard in those days of Caesar Augustus, they would have sighed as heavy as my grandkids will one day when I talk about in the days of cassette tapes. See, in those days of Caesar Augustus would have sounded like that time when we were weary and burdened and hopeless. But the way that people tell time is a significant act. And this story begins in a particular time, in a particular age, in the days of Caesar Augustus. But in the midst of the text, I don't know if you caught it or not, there's something that happens. Something interrupts those days. A new day appears in our text this evening. Luke writes, For this day, in the city of David is born a Savior who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. This day is not merely a, a, a marker denoting like Jesus' birthday. On this day is the day that Jesus was born. No, it is a way of describing a whole new era of time, a whole new age of time. Uh, we do this all of the time in our own lives. We mark eras, right? Uh, Paige and I mark our time like life before kids when I could preach a sermon without being interrupted by a one-and-a-half-year-old rudely, and the time after that when it was really difficult to get through any sort of reflection or sermon with children. This is our life before kids and after kids. We mark lives, our lives in all sorts of ways, and this day 
that Luke refers to is the inauguration of a new time and a new era. And the day of Christ and the time of Christ is not going to be marked by the fear that Caesar Augustus marked the world with. The actual son of God, not just the pretend one, has burst into the scene and the real savior of the world has come to actually save the world. And this day, this time with Christ will look markedly different than the days of Augustus. Augustus' time was marked by threat and violence, burden and fear, but Jesus' time is announced with just the opposite. The angels proclaim to the shepherds, do not be afraid for I have good news that will fill you with great joy. This day stands in stark contrast to those days. And there are many in our church who can bear witness to how different this day with Jesus is when compared to those days back then. Back in those days of addiction, back in those days of selfishness, back in those days of meaninglessness, back in those days of grief and despair, back in those days of guilt and shame. But those times and those eras of our lives They live in the light that's cast by this day of Christ when he's born into our lives. This day of freedom, this day of servanthood, this day of transformation, this day of purpose, and this day of joy. If you've ever wondered if it's possible to step into a new time, into a new era, into a new kind of life in the world that looks decidedly different than the one that you've lived up until this point, it is possible with Christ Jesus. And as astonishing as this change from those days to this day is in our gospel this evening, it's even more surprising as to how that change actually occurs. You see, the turning point in the story occurs in one extremely understated verse when Luke writes, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Before this verse in this story was those days, but after this verse, it's this day. Yet the event of the birth itself is shared with few details and little fanfare. The words of the Christmas carol actually that we sang come to mind as we consider the nativity and Christmas story this evening. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. Those words might give us the impression that what the hymn writer is actually saying there is that Mary didn't cry during childbirth. All the women in the house, no, that's not true, right? (laughs) That Jesus wasn't a screaming newborn baby and there was no commotion around the manger as family was trying to figure out how do you go through labor and delivery in the stable, right, with animals. But let's be real. There was likely plenty of noise when Jesus was born and it's likely that the hymn writer was not naive to that reality. My guess is that this is not the kind of silence that the hymn has in mind. You see, in those days, Jesus' actual birth doesn't make much noise. That is, it wasn't front-page news. There was no royal birth announcement throughout the empire that declaring, you know, that, hey, Jesus is born, right? 
There's no posts on social media. You know, here's, you know, eight pound, three ounce baby Jesus, right? Thank you, Will Ferrell. But it didn't capture the imaginations of anyone except some lowly shepherds in a field. Jesus' birth is simply the unexceptional birth of another child to poor parents in a small, crowded backwater town in the empire. And it's actually, by the way, why I love the feeling of our Christmas Eve service over the past few years. I think there's this tendency to to make Christmas want to be this like big show where we pull out all the stops because people are going to be here for the first time and we need to impress them and show them how awesome church can actually be. But the event that we've come to celebrate, when it actually happened, no one cared. (laughs) No one was paying attention. You see, it's in the quiet of nights, like the one that Jesus was born. The nights like the one that we're in right now, without the fanfare, without the ecstatic exuberance and religious fervor that Christ the Savior is born. And his life can be born in you and in me these days. And this is the profound mystery of Christmas. A God who turns our worst days into a new day, into this day. May his life be born in our lives and in your life anew this year. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.